0: Micah chapter 6, let's go right to verse 8, and let's examine ourselves in the light of it, and by making some applications of it, see how pervasive it is into our lives. This is pure religion before God our Father. It's described here in one verse. We cannot complain that He hasn't done anything for us because He's done much for us. We cannot say that uh, he wants our firstborn, or rivers of oil. It's very simple what he wants, and it's there in the 8th verse. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. This is God's good religion. And it's a very reasonable one. And he has a controversy with us, If we are tired, bored, or fighting against it at all, and he's going to plead his case, he will first plead by bringing us warnings from God's word that his goodness should lead us to repentance and godly living. But if that doesn't work, then he will bring us punishment for not having lived up to what he has done for us, as we saw in the second half of Micah chapter 6. But let's look at this 8th verse. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. This is the good thing God wants from us. First of all, to do justly. To do justly is to treat others fairly, rightly, and equitably. And to do that all the time. Let's go. Let's ask ourselves how well we do on it. Do you treat your spouse justly? Do you do justly with your spouse? Rendering unto your spouse due benevolence. Does the wife get up every morning and rem- remember that she was made for her husband and her husband was not made for her? That's to do justly. Because if you don't get up and do that, women, then you are unjust toward your husband. Because the Bible tells you that should be your perspective of marriage, that you were made for him and he was not made for you. First Corinthians eleven nine. Do you submit to your husband as unto the Lord in everything? Do you reverence your husband? Husbands, do you love and cherish and nourish your wives? If you don't, then you're dealing unjustly with the woman God gave you on loan. And he's going to take her back very soon. Husbands, do you love your wives and are not bitter against them for the disappointing things they do? Women, do you honor and do you magnify a meek and quiet spirit in your lives more important than anything else? And husbands, do you dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of eternal life? Those are just a few verses and a few points about marriage. Because if you do not treat your spouse the way the Bible teaches you to treat her or him, then you're not doing justly toward others, and the Lord has a case against you, and you are not doing that good thing that is pleasing in his sight. Marriage is big, isn't it? All the verses that the Bible tells us how to deal justly, it has nothing to do with what you think a good husband or a good wife is. It has everything to do with what does the Word of God say. And so when he uses the few little syllables to do justly, he doesn't tell you who he's talking about because he's talking about everyone else you come in contact with. And the person you're in contact with the most, and I hope you're in contact with them on a regular basis, is your spouse. How about the laws of our nation? Do you do justly before them? Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. What ordinances of men that they have given to us through our magistrates are you breaking? To do justly is to keep the civil ordinances that God's given us through our rulers. Paul wrote Titus and said, put them in mind to be subject to magistrates. Are you obeying the magistrates of our nation and doing everything that you should to obey the laws of our land, large or small? How do you speak about our rulers? Jude chapter 1 verses 8 through 10 tells us not to make fun of dignities. We should not speak evil of dignities. We should honor them as well as we are able. It doesn't matter whether it's Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton that becomes our next president or Senator Barack Hussein Obama. Becomes our president. We will show them honor and we'll obey their laws. Right. Number three. Do you do justly? Do you earn, give, and save monies as you should? Because the Bible tells you to do that. And that's part of how you relate to others. Do you, do you work hard when you're on the job to earn the money to be able to have to give to him that needeth? See, that's doing justly. If God's given you abilities and he gives you opportunities where you can earn money, where someone else may not have the abilities or the opportunities, then justice says you should work hard to be able to have to give to him that needeth. Now, that's Ephesians 4.28. It's not Jonathan Crosby, it's not Micah, and it's not Paul. It's the Lord God of heaven. Hear ye now what the Lord saith unto you. To do justly is to manage your money in a wise way by earning it, by giving it generously, and by saving it. If you're not saving, then you are not doing justly. Because when trouble comes into your life, you're not going to have anything to fall back on. And you're going to have to have us bail you out. And we may not do it. Because if you haven't saved, you don't deserve it. To do justly. How about your master when you go to work? Look at well, Titus chapter 2 and verse 9 says so much Servants. To fear your masters and to obey them well in all things, not answering again. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Not proining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That's to do justly. When you go to work, you should give them a 60-minute hour, and you should give them an 8-hour day or whatever they've assigned to you, and you should give it your energy. You don't pace yourself through the job. If you pace yourself through the job, you're not doing justly. Because if you were the owner and, they, and you had employees pacing themselves through the day and you needed them to put out in order for you to make a return on your capital investment and to pay your loans, you'd expect them to put forth the effort. So to do justly is to work for a master as you would want employees working for you if you had them. Or better than that, you know there's a better standard. It is to work for your employer or your master as unto the Lord with a single heart. This is to do justly. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. It's not giving your firstborn. It's not coming to assemblies. It's not 10,000 rivers of oil. It's these things. It's to do justly toward others. And you can do it on the job. If you're a master... How do you treat your charges that God's given you? Do you hold their pay longer than you should? Do you pay them generously and equitably? Are you merciful toward them? Do you treat them delicately, as the Bible says, so that at length they want to become your son? That's what the Bible teaches, Proverbs 29, 21. Are you doing justly for those of you that are masters? Do you honor your parents and in-laws justly? Children, it is a commandment and an ordinance of heaven, that you not only obey, but that you honor your parents. When they say, when they ask you, what are you thinking? You tell them what you're thinking. When they ask you to participate in something, you participate. That's honoring them and obeying them. When they give you restrictions, you follow those restrictions. You honor and obey. That's doing justly. To do otherwise is to break the first authority relationship that we meet with in life. And it's an abomination to God. He'll rip your eyeballs out and feed them to the birds. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 17. I hope you've read that verse before, sister, so that you don't think that I'm a madman. But I want to be mad for the Lord's sake from the Word of God. I right, right. can't stand children that disobey their parents. I can't wait for the eagle of the valley to rip their eyeballs out. Right, right. Their, light, their lamp will be put out in obscure darkness, right. the Bible says. He that setteth light by his father or by his mother... Let him be cursed. Deuteronomy 27, verse 16. That is to do justly. Just justice is doing what is right and fair and equitable. And when you mistreat your parents or you make it hard for them to be a parent, it is a very painful thing. God sees every bit of that pain and he's going to punish you for it. And right now he's pleading with you. See, we're in court. We're standing before the Lord. And the Lord's speaking. I just happen to be His Balaam's transportation. That's all I am. And I'm speaking to you from God to do justly for you children is to obey and honor your parents. Because that's the only fair way that that relationship works. That's the only right thing to do. And that is what is equitable. They changed your diapers when they should have put a wet rag over your face and saved themselves the expense of having you in their house. They should have smothered you in your crib. All you were was a bunch of trouble and cost to them. The Bible says that you are to requite them, R-E-Q-U-I-T-E, which means to repay them for the kindness they've done to you. Listen, you better be thankful that the parents in here don't believe in abortion. Because they have saved themselves a whole lot of hassle and a whole lot of trouble and a whole lot of very tiring and irritating evenings coming home from work to have to look at your f- sad faces when all they've done is work all day for you so that you could sit around and do nothing. Yeah, I heard. It's right and equitable to requite your parents and to repay them. So when it says to do justly, in Micah 6.8, we just can't memorize the words. We can't just make it a life verse, print it on a three by five card, and carry it around and put it on our desk. We've got to put it into practice. And when it says to do justly, it, it takes up marriages, it takes up work relationships, it takes up children to their parents. How about parents to their children? Do you love and train your children carefully? Have you been by example and by instruction? Have you loved your children, women? Because the Bible tells you to, Titus chapter 2 and verse 4, to do justly. It is not to be overbearing. It is to be a wise manager and to deal with them delicately. If, If you were to deal delicately with a servant so that he wants to become your son, Proverbs 29, 21, how much more should you deal delicately with your son who's already your son, whom God gave you as a son? Do you give them hope? Do you let them know that you love them? Do you listen to them? Do you ask about them? Do you inquire about them? Or are you too pooped out when you get home from your few hours at work? To do justly. They're on loan to us. They're at a vulnerable stage in life while we have them. We better love them. We better train them. We better help them. We better guide them. We better encourage them. We better lift them up. It's our duty our duty To do justice. How about all your money matters? When you owe somebody money, do you pay on time? When a utility company bills you, do you pay on time? When you use a brother in this church for services that go above and beyond ordinary services, do you pay them? Do you provide things honest in the sight of all men? Are you impeccably honest at all times? The lip of truth shall stand forever, but a lying tongue is going to be put away by the Lord. Do you do justice? Are you always honest, faithful, keep your word, consistent? Do you do everything with faithful zeal? The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with thy might. The Bible says that a faithful man is hard to find. Are you faithful to everybody that counts on you? Are you faithful in discharging all your duties? This is to do justly. Because if you're not faithful, then other people are disappointed by you, and they're frustrated in what they were counting on you to do, and so you haven't fulfilled that verse. Those little words are so short, and we can memorize the verse so easily, but do you hear how broad it is? Thy thy commandment is exceeding broad, David said in Psalm 119. So to do justly, can can we walk out of here and do justly today and tomorrow for the Lord's sake? On the job, with our spouses, with our children, with our parents, with our in-laws, with our money, can we be faithful and do justly? It's a commandment. It's the Lord speaking to you and to me. He is pleading His case. He has saved us. He has put us in a nation where we have more than heart could wish, and He asks a little bit of fairness and rightness in dealing with others. We're fair as spouses. We're fair as parents. We're fair as children. We're fair, we're right, we're equitable. We do what is good. This is the religion of Jesus Christ. It is not coming in and kneeling on a prayer rail. It is not giving sacrifices or buying indulgences. It's living a holy and a righteous life as measured by God's word. And you know that everything I've said could be backed up with one or many more passages of scripture. What else does he say in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8? He says to love mercy. Ah, yes. What does the Lord require of thee but to do justly? That is to treat everyone fairly that counts on us in any relationship. Next, to love mercy. It doesn't just say to show mercy. It says to love mercy. You should have a love affair with mercy. It should be your pleasure to forgive. It should be your honor and your privilege to give to others. To forgive them and to give to them. Because you love mercy. They're under your control. You have something they could use. You could withhold it. And you are not loving mercy. You are loving being a scrooge. You little tightwad, you're never going to go anywhere. You're not going to go anywhere in the sight of God or men. And anyone that's ever achieved any degree of success knows that. It's giving. Giving will get, you, will get you successful and having more than any other thing you can do with your assets. You, you withhold more than is meat and it tends to poverty. You know the verses. We've been over them recently. It's to love mercy. Loving mercy is treating others with charity, compassion, and forgiveness. Do you delight in showing mercy toward others when you could accuse them or charge them? Do you love just blowing it off and forgetting about it? That's loving, showing mercy. We're all going to offend each other. We're all going to offend each other on a regular basis. I think by count that I've preached that 861 times in just the last eight years. Because it's just true of human nature. And it's something we have to work at all the time. But you know what, what loving mercy is? It's loving being offended. Because it's an opportunity for you to show mercy. Do you know you can't show mercy until someone's offended you? Uh, in the type of mercy that I'm talking about right now. You, know, you can't show it until someone's done something wrong, and you could get them under your thumb. You could accuse them, charge them, pick on them, blame them. That's when mercy comes in. Not until somebody does something wrong can you show mercy. But when somebody does something wrong and hurts your feelings... Blow it off. That's loving mercy. How else can you show loving mercy? Do the poor trigger godly instincts in you to want to run to their aid? Do you want to reach when you find out that someone has a need? Do you want to reach and peel out some bills? This is religion of Jesus Christ. Is your heart eager to do that? Because it says to love mercy. Not just to show mercy, or have the church force mercy out of you, or have someone confront you on their knees and beg for your mercy, but you love it. All you need to do is sense that there's a need, and you want to start peeling FRNs. Those are Federal Reserve notes. You start peeling them out because you want to show mercy. And not only do you want to show it, you love it. So it's an instinct. It's a pleasure. It's a privilege. Oh, there's so many verses about loving the poor that way. In Proverbs, I'm out of time to show you all the references, but I did prepare them. Oh, I'm not quitting yet, brother. I mean, (laughs) uh, I was just going to let that point slide because I think that, well, go ahead thank you. What am I arguing with myself for? I'm opposing myself. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. Oh, the Lord doesn't like that. The Lord doesn't like that. He says, he that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. I, I'm 50, about 51. I've watched a lot of lives in my time, and I've seen people that are cur, You know, I have a saying that there's only one Job in the world, but some of you try to prove me wrong. There seems to be more than one Job. And you know, whenever I see someone that's acting like more than one Job, I know there's a problem there. They're doing something nine times out of ten, and God is no longer favoring them and blessing them, He's blowing against them. Because somewhere you're cheating the Lord. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor. But the wicked regardeth not to know it. It's a mental set. Do you look and think about it, and does it move you? Or do you hide your eyes? Oh, somebody else will take care of it. The minute you, the, the second you say that, you do not love mercy. Because if you love mercy, you said, I want to take care of it. I don't want them to take care of it. I want to take care of it. Some of the best times I've ever had this church is fighting off other men because I wanted to do something, and they wanted to fight me off because they wanted to do it. And so now some of them sneak around behind me and do it on their own. So do I, on them. And that's nothing. We're nothing. But the Bible says to love mercy. And I know who you men are, and you know who some of the other men are as well, because once in a while I introduce you to each other. And it's wonderful. It's loving mercy. This is our religion. What does the Lord require of thee, old man? I'll tell you. He's already shown it to you. Do justly. Love mercy. Do you pity and make allowances for the weak? Do you remember David? When Ziklag was burned, he had 600 men. They took off to catch that band of Amalekites. And they, oh, they were upset. They were so upset they wanted to kill David. But remember they came to a river and 200 of them were tired. We'd call them panty-wasted, little effeminate Brethren. Okay, are you you with me? Yes. All these words well up in our hearts of what we would say, and they left two hundred of them there because they were too weak to go on, and the other four hundred took off like banshees. And they, I don't know what what is that? I don't. Never mind. They went and they, they went and got those Amalekites and they recovered everything that had been taken from Ziklag of theirs. And when they came back to that river to meet the two hundred that had been left behind, it says the sons of Belial that were among David's men, the sons of Belial said. They, don't, they shouldn't get any of this spoil. And David said, wait a minute right here. They're going to get every bit as much as you got. They went as far as they could, and they kept our stuff while we were chasing down the Amalekites. And it was a law in Israel from that day on that if you couldn't make any further... You know what kind of... Mer- that's loving mercy. David loved mercy. Did David get any mercy in his life? I know something David did in his life where he should have been killed dead for it. And you know what the Lord said? Thou art forgiven and thou shalt not die. Do you know why? Because David loved mercy and God showed him some mercy. If you want mercy in your life, then you better pour it out. Be excited about taking care of the weak. You fathers, do you take care of the weak? That's overlooking the fact that your 5-year-old isn't a 15-year-old. That's remembering your 15-year-old isn't a 30-year-old. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. If you're a father and you love to show mercy, then you're going to love to show it to your children. Remember their age and abilities, and all their abilities different. You may have children that are 90 IQ and 140 IQ, and if you hold the 90 IQ child up to the level of the 140 IQ child, you are wrong, and God's going to plead his case with you. I'm thankful he doesn't do that to me. Oh, I'm not mad. It's just that the Lord's pleading a controversy with us all. Do we love to show mercy? And what does that really mean? I'm trying to I'm trying to give some legs to it. The Bible gives it all the legs. You know, we've got one verse, Micah 6, 8. And you can just blow through it and memorize it. But if we want to give legs to it, then we're going to look at that verse and say, what else does the Bible say about loving mercy? It means husbands love mercy. Because they dwell with their wife according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife is the weaker vessel and is being heirs together of the grace of life. That's 1 Peter 3, 7. That's a rule. You can't expect that of your wife what you expect that of yourself. She's not capable of it. If she's capable of it, either you married very high or you need some work. It's just the way it is. If you don't like it, that's too bad because that's what the Bible says. They are the weaker vessel. And you need to recognize that and give allowances for it. Do you provide hope for the hopeless, including your teenagers? Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope is a wonderful thing, and it's your duty to help your children have some. That's loving mercy, because you want to remember that it can be pretty difficult being caught between being a child and being an adult, while they're still under your roof having to follow your rules, and the Lord's filling them with chemical stimulants that want to make them think that they can do it on their own. They're not ready to do it on their own, but you need to give them hope and you need to help them. It says in the Bible, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. Do you love mercy? Do you love mercy toward your children? Do you love mercy toward your spouse? Do you love mercy toward the poor? Do you do good to yourself? The Bible says a merciful man doeth Good to his own soul. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. See, do you show yourself some mercy? When someone apologizes to you, how quickly do you forgive them? Do you love forgiving them? Do you love saying, oh, forget about it. I'd already forgotten about that. Don't, oh, thank God. I hear you, but it doesn't matter. Do you love doing that? Or do you like getting your pound of flesh for a minute or two? I can't believe what you did. I can't believe what you did. You moron. Yeah, I'll forgive you tomorrow. Ask me again tomorrow. That isn't what the Bible is talking about. That's not loving mercy. If you love mercy, you want to forgive, forgive them immediately. You want to forgive them as fast as you want God to forgive you when you go to Him with your sins. That's right. And we're usually expecting a pretty quick forgiveness when we go to the Lord. We should do that to others. When others offend you, as they will... Do you love to pass over their transgressions? Yes. I'll give you this verse again, and I hope it doesn't bore your ears. Because you've heard it so many times. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. That means a wise man doesn't get angry until tomorrow when something happens. Ooh, that's good. Do you know what? Because tomorrow never comes if you can put it off till tomorrow. Because it dissipates. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. It is his glory. That's a man that loves mercy. He gets excited about passing over a transgression. Someone's done something wrong against him. He gets excited about it. Awesome. If they hadn't done this, I wouldn't have an opportunity to show mercy. I'm going to forget it. I've done stuff like this to others, I'm sure. It's his glory to pass over a transgression. That's loving mercy. When giving to others, do you love to be as generous or as conservative as possible? Well, I wouldn't want to give them too much if they're going to start to expect a handout. Oh, there's a place for that. When we get to it, let me I'll let you know. Okay, don't worry about that. thats That's the devil inside of you. You say, but what if I gave someone too much? <laughs> Tell me about it. Can you explain that to me? What if I gave someone too much? Tell me about it. Bring me bring me your verses. This is the Lord speaking. Testify against me. How can you give too much? There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. There is withholdeth more than his meat, and it tendeth to poverty. What do you love? Are you thinking on the conservative side? If you're conservative, the Lord's been conservative with you, and it's visible in your life. If you've been liberal, the Lord will be liberal with you and it will be visible in your life. Because that's what the Bible says. When you're looking around and measuring people by the Word of God, are you tougher on yourself than others? Or are you pretty good at judging the motes in other people's eyes while you've got telephone poles in your own? You've got great vision looking around that great big beam in order to find a little mote of dust in someone else's eye? That's mercy. Matthew chapter 7, first five verses, when it talks about judge not that you be not judged, is talking about the hypocritical and harsh judgment of a hypocrite who picks on someone else for doing something while they're guilty of the same or other sins. Do you love mercy by taking passages like we're working on right now and applying it to yourself more than anyone else? That's loving mercy toward others. If you're in a position of authority, that's a husband, that's a father, that's a master on the job, that's a ruler. Do you show mercy toward those under your care? Are you merciful to your wife? Are you merciful to your children? Are you merciful to your employees? That doesn't mean you let them have a half hour water break every hour. But do you show them some mercy while you're getting your labor out of them? This is is the religion of Jesus Christ. This is what Micah was appealing to in Micah chapter 6. Because, see, these people were unjustly, uh, think about the words, unjustly, unmercifully oppressing the poor and taking their money to heap up riches in their houses by violence and by lying and deceit. And we want to be the opposite of that, and the Lord wants us to be the opposite of that. And so we have to do justly and to love mercy. Micah 6, 8. That's, that was easy enough, wasn't it? We might as well just memorize the verse, quote it to each other, and go home. I speak as a fool. We wanted to fill it out with the rest of the Word of God. And what does it mean to do justly and to love mercy? That's how we treat others. The third one is how we treat God. What does it say in Micah 6, 8? It says, What doth the Lord require of thee, O man, but to do justly? To love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. This is from the other table of God's commandments. Not how we treat others, but how we treat the Lord God himself. How much are you like Enoch? You walk with God every day. When you're driving, when you're walking, or when you're doing your chores, you're talking to God either audibly or in your soul. You walk with God. He is your daily companion and your friend. Do you sing to him? Do you talk to him? Do you thank him? Do you bless him? Do you walk with God like Enoch? The Bible just says Enoch was not because God took him. God didn't want him any longer on earth. He wanted him in heaven with him. And it's given to us an example of a man walking with God. Is God your friend through every day? you thank him for the smallest things? when you take a bite out of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it's good jelly and good peanut butter on decent bread and it's not too many days old, do you thank the God of heaven for such a precious piece of food? Say I don't like peanut butter and jelly. That's why you don't know how to walk with God. I don't care what you're eating. Do you thank the Lord? We have so much. In Psalm 136, didn't it say, Who giveth food to all flesh? For his mercy endureth forever. Do you walk with God? Do you you talk to Him and thank Him for everything? When you're in bed at night, who are you thinking about you love the most? And do you tell Him? There's no interruptions in bed, brethren. It's a great place to do your talking. If you're walking with God, you can tell Him that you love Him in that bed. It says to walk humbly with thy God. I love Exodus chapter 33. where Moses and Joshua went into the tabernacle of the Lord, and the Lord came down and talked to Moses face to face. Now, the Lord doesn't have a face. All that meant is it was very personal and very intimate. Exodus chapter 33. As soon as I get to my punchline, some of you are going to remember that I have mentioned this a few times to you before. The Lord is in that tabernacle talking to Moses face to face, and Joshua is there with him. Joshua is a bystander. Moses gets done talking to the Lord and walks out to go back into the camp. And do you know what it tells us in Exodus 33, 11? Amen. The young man, Joshua, wouldn't leave the tabernacle. Right. Do you, is there any of that inside you? If it's not there, confess it and get it inside you. Joshua didn't... You want to hear the words? I want to hear them. Exodus 33, 11, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. That's what, that's what it means to walk with God, like your friends together. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua knew what was important. He was going to walk with his God, and if he had just seen a face-to-face encounter between God and Moses, he wanted that. He knew what was coming he was going to have to take those stiff-necked, rebellious, difficult people. And he wanted the Lord on his side and the Lord walking with him every day. So he stayed there while Mo- Moses, you can leave. If you've, if you've run out of things to say to the Lord, I'm going to stay. Do you walk with God? How can, you, how can you walk with God? Do you confess your sins fully, quickly, and completely, and clearly every day? Do you tell him what you've done wrong and lay it out before him for what it is? Stupid sin. Wicked sin. Foolish sin. Do you tell him and do you confess? Do you come clean with him and tell him that it was heinous and terrible? Because he said it was. Even if you got momentary pleasure from it, it was wrong. You corrupted and perverted that which was right, right, and it profited you not. Job chapter 33, verse 27. That's how you walk with God. The Lord says in Isaiah 59, my ear's not stopped up, my hand, my arm isn't shortened that it cannot save. Your sins have done that. So to walk with God, we need to confess our sins every day. This is all in Micah 6, 8. He doesn't care about visiting the assemblies or bringing rivers of oil. He wants the confession of your sins where you say, you're right in your commandments and I'm wrong. I confess them. Please forgive me and have mercy. Do you delight in God and his things like David did? Do you want to make his temple exceeding magnifical? That means you want to build up every other living stone in this assembly. That means you are not selfish. You just go home and think about yourself, but you want to build up this assembly. You want to do what you can for this church. Do you delight in him? Do you delight talking about him? Delight thyself also in the Lord, that's a man that walks with God and has that personal relationship with him that's meant by the words, "Walk humbly with thy God in Micah chapter six and verse eight. Do you glory in him, or do you get more excited about things on earth? Let not the rich man glory in his riches or the wise man in his wisdom or the strong man in his strength. Let him that glorieth glory in this that he knoweth and understandeth me. That's a man walking with God. That's Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24. Is that your chief glory in life? Does that get you the most excited? Do you come to God with a broken and contrite spirit? A broken and a contrite spirit, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. You can always make up with the Lord with a broken and contrite spirit and walk humbly with your God. Do you remember that friendship with the world is spiritual adultery? And every time you flirt around with the world and get excited with things beyond your necessary use of them, (coughs) or necessary use of them even for some relief at times, if you let them get out of control at all, even incrementally, you are flirting with the world. Listen, every man in here understands it. Every man understands that when his wife incrementally does something with another man that irritates and offends him and causes him to be jealous, and there's a God in heaven whose name is Jealous with a capital J. That's Exodus thirty-four seventeen. if you haven't seen it in a while. That is spiritual adultery, and you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. You cannot walk with God. You cannot humbly walk with your God and fulfill Micah 6, 8, if you're being a friend with the world. He wants all of you, and he wants it on his terms and his way. Right. Is the sanctuary of God your favorite place? I'd rather be a a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. A day in thy house is better than a thousand anywhere else. As thirsts the heart for water brooks, so thirsts my soul, O God, for thee. What was David talking about in Psalm 42? He was talking about the fact that he hadn't been to church in a while, and it hurt him, and he wanted to be back there. Is being in the sanctuary your favorite place? Do you prepare for it? Do you pray for it? Do you participate in it? Are you passionate about it? That's a man humbly walking with his God because he wants to be where God is worshipped. Do you have music in your life that glorifies God? Or do you have music of this world? He hates and abominates the music of this world. If you'll put godly music in your life, it'll drive away the evil spirits that are tearing you up and it'll bless you with peace and calm repose with the God of heaven. And you can walk with Him while that music is playing and you hear those words that give honor and glory to the God of heaven and that are of an intelligent melody and an intelligent format so that you can worship something positively. God is honored by that. And That's how you walk with Him. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says, are you merry? Sing psalms. Get into some music. It says if you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're walking with God, then you're going to speak and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Are you as eager as the Greeks and Mary Magdalene to see Jesus? Some Greeks came to Jesus in John chapter 12. They didn't come to Jesus. They came to Philip. And they said, sir, we don't really care about meeting you. We would see Jesus. Is that, you? Is that what you, who you want to meet? Then you're walking with God because God loves his son. And God loves those who love his son. How about Mary Magdalene? She was there weeping in the garden. She thought Jesus was a gardener. And she says, if you've taken his body and hit it, would you tell me and show me where it is? You've got to read it. Go read it today. That, that woman knew how to walk with God. Mary Magdalene, she may have had seven devils in her yesteryear, but who cared? She had one heart that loved the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you read about her? And not love Mary Magdalene. That's why Magdalena is called Magdalena. Anyway, don't worry about that. After Mary Magdalene. Jesus said Mary. Wow. What tender. What tender words. Mark sixteen nine tells us that Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. First, before the apostles. Because she humbly walked with her God and loved his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Micah six eight is trying to teach us today. Do you love the thought of Jesus Christ coming again? Does that get you excited that Jesus Christ is, is going to split this atmosphere open and is going to descend with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on his enemies and he's going to come to gather all the saints of God together, living and dead, He's going to rip cemeteries open and all bodies are going to appear and we're going to stand before Him and you can grab His ankles and lay hold of Him and tell Him how much you love Him. You will have never seen anyone as gloriously beautiful as the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love His appearing? The Bible says that there's a crown of righteousness waiting for those that love His appearing. That's someone walking with God. If you don't think about, care about, or get excited about the coming of Jesus Christ, then how can you convince yourself or me that you're walking with God. If you're walking with God, that is the blessed hope of the believer. And that's the one you want, the one thing you want more than anything else. Unless you're the Apostle Paul and you could be of use to a few churches. Because he said, to be absent from the body and to depart this body is far better than to be here. Is that your attitude toward this world? You'd rather be with Christ. That's a man that's walking with God. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Do you love to do what is right and fair with everyone at all times? Do you get excited about showing mercy by forgiving and giving, and overlooking those who offend you, and giving to their needs? And do you have a personal relationship with the God of heaven where you walk with him like a friend walks with another friend as it was described between God and Moses? That's the religion of the Bible. Does he want 10,000 rivers of oil? He says, keep them. Does he want the silver and the gold? He says, I already own it all. Do you know what he wants? He wants our hearts and our lives. We're going to walk out of here and you have a chance to end your controversy with the Lord of heaven. And it's not hard. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And keeping his commandments is not grievous, according to 1 John chapter 5. It's not grievous. It's to your blessing. God's done much more for us in the New Testament than he ever did for anyone in the Old. We owe him more than what Micah 6, 8 gets out of Israel. And we deserve punishment greater. And what the last half of Micah chapter 6 described God would do to Israel and Judah. Because the Lord's done so much more for us. We are Christians of the New Testament. Right. They'd never heard the word Christian. They'd never heard the words New Testament. Until they read Jeremiah. We are blessed abundantly. What does he require? Not assemblies without right. But righteousness and love of his assemblies. Right. That's the order. That's the scriptural order. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.